We are in Joshua chapter 20. And so they have just finished dividing up all the land for the inheritances. For the inheritances. But remember, they're, 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 so, so uh, they, they're dividing up all the, they've divided up all the inheritance land. And now they've got to deal with what's called the, the six cities of refuge. In verse 1. Then the Lord of Joshua chapter 20, verse one, then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, designate the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally without premeditation may flee there and they shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. Now if the avenger of blood pursues him, then he shall not deliver the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return to his own city and to his own house, to the city from which he fled. So this was, this was something that was spoken about previously. Uh, it was spoken about in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 41 through 43, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 1 through 3, and Numbers 35, 6 through 28. Moses designated when you go into the land, you are to have cities of refuge. There are six cities of refuge. What this means is that this was a place where a person could flee if they killed somebody unintentionally. So how do you kill somebody unintentionally? Well, you're out in the woods and you swing an axe. The axe head flies off and kills somebody. That's unintentional. That's what we call manslaughter in our days. Or you're driving down the road, you have no intention of running somebody over, and, 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 uh, but you run somebody over. Happens all the time. It's called manslaughter in our days. This is, was what to do with them. And you would say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, because in those days, if you killed someone, whether you intended to do it or not, you were killed life for life. And so what God was doing is he was raising the bar and prescribing a new order for the society. And so the manslayer could flee... If he could beat, if he could beat the, uh, uh, the, the, the one in the family who was going to be seeking him out to kill him, to one of these six cities of refuge, he could flee and be protected. And so he would be protected by that city, but he would have to stand trial before the leaders of that city and state his case and show that indeed it was manslaughter and not premeditated murder. And if he could do that, then the manslayer, the one who came to kill him, who was of the family of the one who was slain, was not allowed to touch him. He had to dwell in that city for the rest of his life, but at least his life was spared. He could not leave that city. If he left that city, the manslayer, if he found him, could kill him. That was the law of the land. It was raising over the common law of that time, which is you could kill somebody for, for manslaughter. This was protecting them. Until the death of the high priest, that was the statute of limitations. If the high priest died, then the manslayer could leave that city and, and the, the, uh, uh, the family member could never touch him no matter where he went. That was the raising of the bar. And you say, well, that's not kind enough. It was, if it was a mistake, why don't they just let him go? He can go to any city. 
because you deal with cultures slowly, and God knows this, you can't dramatically change cultures. And, and uh, if you dramatically change cu- cultures, it le- leads to great upheaval. And there are examples in our day. You know, there are things that, that we might like to see changed in our culture, but th- things can be so ingrained that there, there's, there, there's great troubles that can start. So God well knew this, that you have to go through things gradually. I'll give you an example, and I don't know if, if many of you would, would understand this example very much, but I remember before there was a day when, when uh, uh, abortion was not allowed in this country. So in 1972, Roe v. Wade and, and, and came, and this, this Supreme Court case, and then abortions up to the third trimester could take place. This was a, something that was deemed by the, the Supreme Court, and it came upon the country, in fact, quite quickly. And to this day, there, there remains real controversy there. Now, if this is to be overturned and go back to the states, I'm telling you there will be great upheaval because the culture has become so used to this. Wherever you fall on this issue, I'm telling you that there is going to be great upheaval if... if, if the, the Supreme Court should change this whenever there's big changes. And that's not that it would overturn it for good. It would go back to the states. But even then, there's going to be great upheaval. You change culture slowly. And God knew this. And this was a great protection. So they designated the, these cities. And so you can look at, at, at the cities that were designated. And so he, he designated three on each side of the Jordan River. So there was, there was Hebron which is just under that A in Judah. There was that one in the southern part. And then there was Shechem in the middle, uh, uh, just, just right near the border of Manasseh and Ephraim. And then there was another one in Naphtali up in the north. And then there were three on, 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 the, on, the, east, on the east side of the Jordan. So those were the three on the west. There were three on the east side of the Jordan. One in the, the other half tribe of Manasseh up in Bashan by the Golan. And then another one in Gad and another one south in Reuben. So you had three on each side of the Jordan and they were dispersed. It wasn't always easy to cross the Jordan. When when it's in flood stage, the Jordan can be quite quite, uh, uh, strong of a river. When it's not a flood stage, it's it's really quite easy to ford. But when it's in flood stage, when the water is coming off those mountains uh, in, in, in the winter of the year, it's very hard to ford. And the Bible makes reference to this, that there were mighty men from Gad that could ford that river. They were very strong swimmers, but you had to be a strong swimmer. So you were running. You had to get to one of those six cities. That's what he just designated. So let's go on now to to Joshua chapter 21. Then there's another 48 cities that he's designated. These are the cities that are going to go to the Levites. So in in verse 1, Then the heads of the households of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel. They spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses, Give us cities to live in with with their pasture lands for cattle. So the sons of Israel gave the Levites from their inheritance these cities with their pasture lands according to the command of the Lord. And so there were 48 cities. There were 35 cities that were given to the general Levites, 13 cities that were given for the priestly class of the Levites. Those 13 cities were going to be around Shiloh, which is in Benjamin, because they were going to take care of the affairs of the tabernacle. 
but there are 48 cities in this area. And I tried to give you an idea of how many cities that really is. 48 is a lot of cities in an area uh, this large. So if you looked at Israel today, Israel today is about what's on the west side of the Jordan. So, so from the Mediterranean Sea across to the Jordan. They don't have what's on the right side of the Jordan River on this map that's in your hands. They don't have that. That belongs present day, the country of Jordan. But the, but, 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 so they don't have the east side, but they have the west side o- over to the, the Mediterranean Sea. That's about what they have today. That area in square kilometers is 21,000 square kilometers. If you were to look at New Jersey, New Jersey is 22,000 square kilometers. So Israel today is about the size of New Jersey. So, so um, even though there's, there's still the right side there, you can, if you want to double it, fine. But imagine 48 cities within the state of New Jersey. That's a lot of cities. And in fact, I looked up the metro area of Houston. If you take Houston with all the metro area around it, it is 26,000 kilometers squared. So about that size. And so if you were to take this area, put 48 cities within the metro area of Houston, that's a lot of cities. So what that did is it spread the Levites throughout that entire region. From north to south, it spread the, the Levites, and they chose 48 cities. And they'll list the cities in this chapter. They list the cities. This land was not an inheritance. It was not an inheritance. Even the cities of refuge were not an inheritance. Those were still owned by the tribes that were there. These cities were not given to them because remember there was a, there was a curse in Genesis chapter 49. Let's go back and just look at that curse again. In Genesis chapter 49, during the prayer time where, 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 uh, um, where, where Jacob is blessing his children... He actually pronounces a curse on Simeon and Levi because they, they had attacked the city of Shechem and killed innocent people. And because of that, in verse 7, he said, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob, and I will scatter them in Israel. And those people that he was speaking of were Simeon, and he was speaking of the Levites, Levi's, the, the descendants of Levi. And so you see Simeon at the bottom here. That was not their own land. They were given some cities, part of Judah, because Judah couldn't occupy all of its territory. And they were subsumed eventually by Judah. And the Simeonites moved up into Ephraim. We looked at those verses last time. But here you have a curse coming upon the Levites because of this man Levi and Simeon that went and, and killed people. So now you have the Levites who have become the priestly class, and that's because they took a stand for the Lord in the wilderness. So what God does is He takes a curse upon the tribe of Levi and says, you're not getting any inheritance in the land because of a curse that was proclaimed by Jacob over his two sons, Simeon and Levi. And He takes that curse and He doesn't negate the curse. They get no land. This is not their inheritance. What he does is he disperses them throughout their entire land and it per- puts a religious group and community in cities all over that area. All over the land of Israel is now, are now cities of Levites. The Levites didn't own those cities. It wasn't their property. The property belonged to the original tribes. 
but it says that they were given these cities to live in and they were given pasture lands for their flocks around those cities. So they lived amongst the people of those tribes. This is very important. What this blessing did, he turned around this curse and he turned it into a blessing. It put a religious expression throughout the different tribes of Israel. There was one tribe, and we mentioned it last time, Dan. You see a Dan is bumped right up against the, the, the Mediterranean Sea between Ephraim and Benjamin there. Dan never was able to assume its land. And Dan went up and took that little piece of land up in the north between Naphtali and, and the, the eastern part of Manasseh up there in the north. They ended up with that little part. They had no religious expression because that came later that, that Dan took that land because they couldn't, uh, deliver, they couldn't push out the, the Philistines. That little part of land never had a religious expression of the Levites. That little part of the land, the tribe of Dan, fell into deep idol worship. And when you go to, go to the book of Revelation, you don't even see them mentioned among the tribes of Israel anymore because they fell so deeply into idol worship. This expression, this religious expression, turns out to be really important. That was the beginnings of them starting synagogues. Synagogues are never mentioned in the Old Testament. They're only mentioned in the New Testament. It wasn't that God said start synagogues. It was a human construct. But it turned out to be a valuable human construct. And Jesus went and he preached in synagogues all the time. So it wasn't that the thing was bad. They, came, they had gathering places that they called synagogues. And this is important. It's important to gather together. If you look in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, God has the same thing with us. Hebrews chapter 10 will start in verse 24. This is instruction to the church. He says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, let us come together. We are to come together. We are to assemble together, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you say the day drawing near. He said in verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is why there are local churches. This is why we participate in the body of Christ because of these commandments in the New Testament. We are commanded to get together. People will often say to me, you don't have to go to church. You can just stay home and learn on your own. I say, absolutely, you can learn on your own. And in fact, there, there was a guy... Not too long ago, he came up to me and, and I saw him I saw him in church here and I, he came to the class. He said, where you been? I haven't seen you in a year. He says, well, I've been reading on my own at home, in, in my room. He says, you can learn on your own. And as soon as I hear that, I know that this is sort of like, what's your problem? I can learn on my own. I, and I said, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, you can learn on your own. And so then after I got done teaching, I'm teaching in, in, this, in this book of Joshua, after I got done teaching, he came up to me, he says, what, what's the difference between, between Judaism and Christianity? You know, it's, it's a big question. I mean, I just finished teaching and, and, and I said, well, you, you know, the Jews are not accepting Jesus as the Messiah. Those that did accept Jesus as the Messiah, that was the beginning of Christianity and that, that and, and he says, and that's where the New Testament comes from. I said, yes. He says, are you ever going to teach from the Old Testament? I had just finished teaching the Bible study out of the book of Joshua. And I said to him, I can tell that your learning on your own is not going very well. You really need to be here. 
And this is what happens when people try to learn on their own. It never goes well. And, and, and um, so this is what the New Testament is telling us. Let us not forsake our assembling together. We need this teaching one to another. We need to learn how to relate as a community. The body of Christ is a community. And so when you graduate from Rice and you don't have your little uh, agape or crew or intervarsity or your own little group that, that you claim is your community, you have to have the local church. And this is important for your family. It is important to understand the importance of this. Let, let's look in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, learning to, to understand authority. In Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start reading from verse 5, but I want to, want to say what happens in the local church is we learn how to come under authority. The scriptures tell us that we are to follow authority. He says that, 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 that uh, a man is the head of woman, God is the he- uh, Christ is the head of man, and God is the head of Christ. He has established an authority. There's an authority in the local church. It says, submit to your elders. It talks about an overseer in the local church. Understanding authority is very important to Jesus. Maybe not to you, but it's important to Jesus. Let me show you how important it is to Jesus. In, in Matthew chapter five, in Matthew chapter eight, verse five, it says, "And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, "Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented." Jesus said to him, "I will come and heal him." But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such faith with anyone in Israel. This is a centurion, not a Jew. He says, come to my home and heal my servant. And in fact, we know from another gospel, it was his representative that went. He didn't even feel worthy to go and speak to Jesus himself. But speaking with, through a representative was tantamount to speaking to oneself. And he's saying, come to my home. And it says, the Jews brought, the Jews brought this message to Jesus, saying, this centurion is worthy because he's been very good to our nation. So Jesus is going to his house. He says, you don't have to trouble yourself. Just speak the word and it's done. He says, look, I understand authority. He says, I have people under me. I have soldiers under me. I say to this one, do it. He does it. That one, do that. And he does it. Just speak the word. It's done. And Jesus is like, whoa. It says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. You will never see this again. Jesus marveling over the faith of anyone. What he marveled at was their unbelief. That's what he mainly marveled at in the New Testament where was his disciples' unbelief. Here is a Gentile and he says, Truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Well, when did Israel start? Israel didn't start with Abraham. He had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was called Israel. Abraham had great faith. But from the time of Jacob, Jesus, remember, has been alive. Not, not in the flesh, but he's been around. He says, I've never seen it since the time of Jacob. I've never seen such great faith. Jesus marveled at this man's faith. Where was this man's faith? The man understood authority. He understood, I'm a man under authority. Just speak the word and it's done. Where do you get authority in your life when you're just home reading the Bible on your own? You have no authority in your life. 
Authority comes through the local church. I submit myself to the authority of this church. If Pastor Roger were to say, Jim, I'd rather you didn't teach the Bible study anymore on Sundays. I'd say, that's it. I am done. I serve at the leadership's pleasure. I am under leadership. I've known Roger since he was a youth pastor. He was a tall, skinny kid. And, 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 uh, and he taught my daughters in, 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 uh, in their youth class. And so I would meet with him periodically for lunch and, you know, I'd kind of give him a little advice. He was just a young guy. Now he's the senior pastor here. That's hard to do, by the way. But anyway, when he calls my office, when I see it's Roger calling me or on my cell phone, Roger's I go, oh, uh-oh, what have I done? I, I feel a little scared. I do. Because, because this is church authority, because I honor authority this much. And as soon as he calls, I say, what have I done, Roger? Did I do anything wrong? He says, no, no, you're cool. And, and, and I told Roger, I said, you know, when you call me, when you call me, I, I jump a little bit, wondering that I, I must have done something wrong. He says, oh, really? He says, when you call me, I jump. <laughs> so, um, but it's an honoring of authority. So I've been married almost 35 years. So Shereen and I have been married almost 35 years. I can remember one time when I had the flu, one time when I didn't come to church on a Sunday with my family. One time in 35 years. When I was in town, I was in church. He said, that's amazing. I wouldn't think of being anywhere else. When I was in town, I was in church unless I was preaching at some other church. I was here because I honor authority. There's an authority structure in my life. Jesus put understanding authority tantamount to faith, faith. He says, I've not found such great faith in all of Israel. He took Levitical cities and he established them throughout the nation of Israel to be religious witness. This is where we get our grounding. This is where we get our teaching. And this is what submission is all about. If you take church lightly, it's very hard to grow. And I see it all the time. I, I know lots of men. They, they, sometimes they go to church. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they go fishing. Sometimes they do this. Sometimes they do that. I could never do that. I mean, first of all, I have a responsibility here. You pick up responsibility because this is where we serve. This is what the body of Christ is all about. When you're part of a local church, they will, they will bury the dead in your family. They will take care of you in these sort of situations. You get sick. They'll... The people will come together and, 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 and have meals for the families. You participate in the body of Christ. To the extent that you participate, people will participate with you. You say, well, nobody's ever brought me a meal. Have you ever brought anyone a meal? I mean, if you bring people meals, they bring you meals. You know? Remember, if you don't go to anyone's funeral, they won't go to yours. <laughs> Yes, that was a joke. <laughs> this is part of the body of Christ. Part of the body of Christ is learning how to relate to one another. Learning that in the body of Christ, there's little kids that are born into the church. And then there's senior groups. And, and uh, uh, you know, you, you go to the seniors class, which meets in this room just before us. And, and Ronnie Barner says, you know, his, his people are just checking out. I mean, from his class, there's no class later. In fact, I told him, you know, in that little church thing in the brochure in there, you, you, you check your age group. And I, t I said, Ronnie, I'm, I'm in the age group 
you know, one more box and I'm in, in your class. And the guy says to me, he says, and the box after that is a pine box. <laughs> you know, but that's what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ is little new ones being born and, and people growing old and dying. That's what the body of Christ is. Learning how to function within the body of Christ. It is a community and it's learning how to function under authority. Without that expression... There would, they would have been lost in Israel without the expression of the local church. You take hold of this. This is important that you become a part of this community and honor it. Okay, let's, let's turn back to, to Joshua. Joshua chapter... Uh, um, so that was Joshua chapter uh, 21. And now let's look at Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. Now, you may remember earlier on in Joshua what we did. What, what had happened was that Moses and Aaron came up and they came from the southern part and they came up on the eastern side of the Jordan River and they conquered first the eastern side of the Jordan River. That was under Moses' direction. Moses was there. Then Moses, at, at the age of 120, died. God buried him on top of a mountain. No man knows where he was buried. And it's, it's interesting. It says God himself buried Moses. No man knows where he was buried. And that's probably good or there else they would have set up a shrine to him. So God knew well what he was doing in that. And then it was Joshua that took them, took them onto the western side of the Jordan and they took that half. But, but Reuben, Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh being a very large tribe, got a double portion because he was the oldest of Joseph. He got a double portion on the east and the west side. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said, hey, it's pretty good on this eastern side of the Jordan. Let us stay here. And Moses said, you're going to stay here? You're not going to fight to, to, to get the land for your brothers? They said, oh, no, we'll fight. We'll go with you. In fact, we'll go ahead of you into the, into the western side, and we will attack that with you. And then once everything is established, we'll go back. So now for seven years, these men, they set up their families, they left some guards with them, and they go across the Jordan. For seven years, they've been fighting for this territory on the western side, and now they're going to go back. Now that, 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 that everything is at peace, there's just regional battles that, that individual tribes have to fight. Verse 1 of Joshua chapter 22. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have listened to my voice in all that I command you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days to this day, but you have kept the charge and the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he spoke to them. Before, therefore turn now and go to your tents to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandments of the Lord, of the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord, your God, and to walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to, to him and to serve him with all your hearts and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. So Joshua said to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, all these soldiers who have been away for seven years fighting. I mean, this is dedication. They're going back now to their families. They're going back. Whether they were rotating troops in and out, I don't know. But for seven years, they've been fighting on that side of the Jordan. They're going back. And he says, you go. He says, this is what I have to warn you, though. In verse 5, be very careful to observe the commandment and the law which... 
law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. He says, be very careful. This is like a father appealing to his children. He says, you're going back now. He says, be very careful to obey these scriptures. Be very careful to obey the law of the Lord. When I pray for my children, I find myself over and over praying for them. Lord, may they love your word. May they love your word and obey it. Because then I know that they will be fine. How do I know if children are going to be okay, if my kids are going to be okay, if my students are going to be okay, if you guys are going to be all right? I know that if you will daily be in the Word of God, you will be just fine. And if you don't, you won't. That I know. So I want so much for you to pick up the Scriptures daily and to be in them. If you are daily in the Word of God, you will be just fine. If you are not, you won't be just fine. You will go through all the struggles that many people go through. There is 50% divorce rate in the United States, roughly 50%. It's the same number in the church in the United States, 50%. You want to risk that? You want to risk that? Pick up the Word of God and make it your meditation and watch the blessings of God fall upon you. This is exactly what he's saying. He says, what can I leave you with as you go? What can I leave with you? It's this. Be very careful to observe the commandments and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God. He says, be very careful. You better love the, word your, the Lord your God. What is the greatest commandment? That we are to love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And in fact, in the, in the Old Testament, it's, it's to love the Lord your God with, with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Jesus in the New Testament adds mind to that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. We are commanded to love God. Think of that. That's a very unique commandment. How? How can you command somebody to love you? You can command me. You can, you know, put a gun to my head and say, go out that door. I'll go out the door. Pick up that that trash. I pick up the trash. How do you command somebody to love you? How do you do that? That's the strangest thing. But that is the number one commandment. We are commanded to love God. You, you can't command somebody to love you. But God, what He does is He gives human beings the capability to love Him. That's why He can command us to do it. It's like grace. Grace is the power to do the very will of God. He commands us to love Him because He's given us that capability to love Him. That's why the commandment is there. We are commanded to love God. He says, love God. Love God, and what I find myself praying over my children is, Lord, I pray that they would love Your Word and that they would love You. That they would love Your Word and that they would love You. If you love God and love His Word, you will be just fine. No matter what hits you in life, and the blows of life hit everyone, no matter what hits you, you will be just fine. If you are in the Word of God and you love God. And he says, He says, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and keep His commandments. He says, keep His commandments. There's over 150 commandments in the New Testament. We've been freed from the 613 commandments of the Old Testament. Jesus freed us from that. But there's over 150 commandments in the New Testament that will keep you quite busy. And He says, keep His commandments. Hold fast to Him. Serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. Joshua, the authority, blessed them. Every time 
that we lived in a town in my family with, with Shireen. Every time we lived in a city, we never left the church. When we joined a church, we stayed there until we moved from that city. And every time we were moving from that city, we got together with the elders of the church and we had them pray for us and they blessed us and they sent us out with the blessing of the church. We wanted that. I understand authority. Here is a man who is blessing them. Understand the blessing that comes. There's this amazing authority structure. Some men will come to me, well, you know, my wife never listens to me. My kids don't listen to me. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. You have no authority in your life. Who do you listen to? You don't listen to the church. You're hardly ever in church. It doesn't surprise me. There's no authority in your life. So when you step out from under this umbrella of authority, everyone under you starts rebelling. I want the blessing of the church. I don't want to just go out to another city. I want the protection and the blessing of the church. When we move into a new home, I want the people to come and to pray in this home and to just bless this home. I understand authority. Joshua was blessing them. He blessed them. I want my, my parents' blessing. I don't want to get married without my parents' blessing. You know, you get married without your parents' blessing. Marriage is tough. It's tough when everything is going right. When you don't have your family behind you, it's, it's hard to survive. It is really hard to survive in marriage without your family behind you. To get your parents' blessing, you say, well, my parents aren't believers. My parents aren't believers either. My mother, subsequent to my marriage, became a believer. But I wanted their blessing. So they gave me their blessing. To have your parents' blessing in marriage is so important. You say, well, my father doesn't like this guy. Say, well, then don't get married. Don't get married until he's willing to give you his blessing. This means so much. These people understood blessing. They didn't want to go back without Joshua's blessing. Understand what it means to have the blessing of those in authority over you. The protection that comes in the blessing of authority over you. Don't risk it. The enemy, it says, is like a prowling lion seeking those whom he could devour. That's the way the scriptures itself put it. The enemy is a prowling lion seeking whom he could devour. He just gobbles people up like they're nothing. That's who we're confronted with. You don't take that lightly. If you knew that there, were, there was a lion outside your house, I mean, you'd go out very, very carefully. <laughs> that lion around here? You'd go very carefully. But if you had, you know, if you had the lion tamer saying, don't worry, I got that lion. Then you go out. Lion, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> this is what it's like. You go out with the blessing of God, the protection of God. It protects us from the hand of the evil one. Protects us. This is the blessing of God. Learn how this comes through those in authority over you. Learn how this comes through the blessing of the local church. Learn the importance of this. These are treasures, the importance of the word of God. Don't forget his commandments and love God. These are the treasures that you can take with you that will change your lives and change your careers, and put some substantial difference between you and just the person who says, I'm a Christian, we're all Christians. What's the difference? It is this. It is taking the Word of God and the reality of it and calling it upon our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. 
Lord, I pray for these young people that they would love the Lord their God and, and observe His commandments. Father, that they would pick up the Scriptures and meditate upon it, for then I know they, they would do well. Father, put upon them a real understanding of blessing that can come through the local church, the expression of the local church. Father, I pray that you'd cause them to be diligent in service in the body of Christ and in the local church. Lord, your grace abound upon their lives, I pray. Draw them close to Jesus. Draw them close to Jesus. Father, have mercy on their souls. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you, who have never invited Jesus Christ into their hearts. Lord, I pray that they would stop delaying, but they would pray this very day, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me and come into my life. Wash me clean by your blood. Father, I pray that you would save their souls this very day, that they could come under the blessing and the protection of the body of Christ. And Lord, I commit these precious ones to you. Father, I also pray for them, for grace to be upon them as they move into their finals. The grace of God shower upon them, I pray. Your mercies, in the name of Jesus. Amen.